Europe's Energy Council recently voted for an EU gas price cap, in spite of warnings from the European Federation of Energy Traders, or EFET, and other industry representatives. We have to ask, what happens now, and how, will this impact Europe's gas markets? To find out, my colleague Patrick talked to Mark Copley, CEO of EFET, about why political intervention remains one of the biggest risks to the energy industry, potentially reducing confidence in the long term. I'm Pamela Larg, and you're listening to the Energy Transitions Podcast. Welcome to this new Energy Markets Talk. My name is Patrick Baudouin and I'm joined today by Mark Copley, who is the CEO of EFET, the European Federation of Energy Traders. Welcome, Mark. Thanks for joining. Pleasure to be here, Patrick. First time I've spoken to you this year, so uh, I'm not going to wish you a happy new year, but it's nice to talk to you anyway. Well, you're calling from Brussels today, recording this podcast in between various meetings, so we really appreciate your time. We're going to discuss EU price caps. Is your Brussels visit related to this topic by any chance? (laughs) Um, Fair to say there's plenty on the Brussels agenda at the moment. So we might be talking a bit about market correction mechanisms, a bit about electricity market design, and maybe even a bit of joint gas purchasing if we're lucky. So, you know, no shortage of things going on this year for traders. Busy, Busy agenda. Well, about the gas price caps, In December 2022, so last year, you warned already against the introduction of EU gas price caps. You said a price cap can make the situation worse. Can you explain that? I'll give it a shot, Patrick. I mean, I think maybe the first thing to say is that um, what's been introduced in Europe, this this so-called market correction mechanism, isn't kind of a cap on price as maybe the man on the street or the man on the club mm. omnibus, as they say in the UK, would think. You know, this is a cap on the price at which derivative contracts can be bought. And this gets quite complex quite quickly. But, you know, a derivative contract is a way that traders hedge the gas they buy in open markets. And so the market correction mechanism is a cap on that derivative price, which has a pretty large effect on the market as a whole. But Mm -hmm. with that kind of caveat aside, I'll try and answer your question properly. So we did warn against the introduction of price caps, and we did that for, I think, a fairly basic reason. And that's because the energy crisis that we've experienced over the past year to 18 months was around not having enough gas and to some extent also not having enough power. And our view is very clearly that you need to tackle that by increasing supply or reducing demand because it's a fundamental problem. Now, if we're talking about increasing supply, in the short term at least, you have to make sure that international liquefied natural gas cargoes reach Europe. Now, Mm -hmm. if you're capping prices or indeed capping derivative prices, there are three potential negative effects there. Firstly, you're reducing the incentive to flow to Europe. And to be fair to the policymakers, there's some of that recognised in the design. But really, you're making markets other than Europe more attractive. Then you're increasing the uncertainty within Europe's regulatory landscape, which means people are less likely to want to deliver gas to Europe, and you're making it more risky for people to buy gas within Europe. And there is also a risk that we've warned about that some contracts that exist 
contain reopener clauses if hub prices change. So we were worried about contracts being reopened in the face of this cap. A couple of other points I'll make, if I may. Mm-hmm. Another problem with the price cap is that it reduces incentives to reduce demand. And if you look over the last winter in particular, Europe's reduced demand by about 20%, which is a huge achievement. You know, capping a price, generally speaking, will mean that more is consumed if the true price should be above that level. And that's not a particularly good thing to be doing. And then moving on maybe one step further, if you've got cap prices, you no longer have a signal about where gas is most needed. And that means you have to decide how to allocate and ration gas, which customers get it, which customers don't. And there's some extremely difficult decisions for politicians to make. So we think there's a whole series of potentially negative effects. We also, I think it's fair to say, think the European gas market works pretty well and is something to be proud of. And actually the TTF hub, which is the most liquid trading venue within that market, is something which has benefits for Europe as a whole. That's probably quite a long answer, but um, we think there's quite a lot of reasons why it's not a particularly good policy choice. Yeah, yeah, clear. (laughs) You described the expectancy that market behavior can change. Now that the cap has already been introduced, can you already see changes in market behavior at this moment or is it still too early to say? (laughs) So I think I'm tempted to say it's too early to say. And maybe the good news there is that view is backed up by two recent reports from ASA, the energy regulator, and ESMA, the financial services regulator, Mm. both who've reported on this recently and broadly concluded it's too early to tell. But there are a couple of things that it's probably worth pointing to. What we would expect to see happening is volume, traded volumes moving away from exchanges and moving towards over-the-counter markets. But that isn't necessarily a problem per se. It's good that you've got a choice about where to trade, but it isn't necessarily clear that those over-the-counter markets are going to be able to absorb all of the volume that might be moving away from exchange trading. Now, Mm -hmm. You probably picked up an interesting news story. It was late last week, wasn't it? And that was one of the exchanges announced that it was going to create a new product traded in London for TTF derivatives. And I think you might start to see that with people looking to trade more in venues outside of Europe. That could Mm -hmm. be the UK. That could even be a Singapore or a US. There are various other places in which you can trade an international commodity. So I think we'll see a range of new products being developed, maybe in a range of locations. And as I say, uh, ICE, one of the exchanges announced they were considering doing that from mid-February, late last week. But I think what we might also see is the general increase in uncertainty leading to people really just being more risk averse and deciding to trade less and therefore liquidity in markets falling. And as you know, when liquidity in markets falls, those markets become more volatile. It's harder to close transactions when you need to. And Mm -hmm. so you get into a kind of vicious cycle where risk increases. So I think what I would expect to see is some product innovation and moves away from Europe, migrations of volumes from exchange to OTC and a general decrease in liquidity. And none of those things are positive for Europe or for Europe's gas market. Yeah, yeah. Well, this isn't the first time in history that a price cap has been introduced. Is there an example in the past that 
you think price caps actually did work? Did, did, <laughs> did uh, do benefit to the market? I'm not an economic historian, so I'm probably not the right person to ask. So, um, I mean, maybe there's two that immediately come to mind, and that's because they're both very recent. So I think it was kind of late last year, Hungary capped its petrol prices. It was mm -hmm. understandably worried about how much people were paying, and it introduced a cap. But what happened is there was a big surge in demand. Then there were some reductions in supply. And what happened was shortages, queues, and the policy eventually got abolished. Now, I'm no expert in the petrol market, but that doesn't feel like a particularly, well, it doesn't feel like the policy outcome that people in Hungary were looking for. Maybe the one I know a little bit more about is what happened in Iberia last year, where the cap was introduced on the electricity price. And what happened there was during an energy crisis, there was increase in the amount of gas being burnt, which led to a increase in exports from Spain to France and ultimately a higher cost to customers. And, you know, what you don't want in the middle of an energy crisis is people burning more gas, which is what the Iberian price cap caused. So that's two recent examples. I'm sure there are people who could point to situations in which they've worked, but I would think they would be the exception rather than the rule. It's not okay. a particularly glorious history. No, no. They did build in several safeguards this time. Do you think these are useful or are you still, despite of the safeguards, still strongly against this EU gas price cap? Look, clearly we appreciate the fact that attempts have been made to make sure this is only triggered in truly kind of exceptional circumstances and that there's a couple of parts to it, looking at international LNG prices, looking at deviations between the TTF price and prices on other hubs. You know, one of the things we're trying to do, recognizing we haven't got a crystal ball, is think about the ways in which it might be triggered. And I think that's one of the problems here is none of us can quite work out if and when it will be triggered. But, you know, we're fundamentally in a situation of war. So maybe maybe mm. none of us can predict what's going to happen. So it's good that some safeguards have been built in. But one of the things I think maybe doesn't get understood often enough is that it doesn't need a cap to be triggered for it to have an effect on market behavior. And actually, what we worry about is the effect it has simply by existing. Because if you're trying to hedge gas transactions long term, you're thinking about what to buy and then how to manage the risks associated with that. And if you don't know if the policy will be triggered, how policy will be triggered, even in some cases, how it will be implemented. There's still a lot of questions on that from our members and from ESMA. Then all of that translates into an increase in risk and a greater unwillingness to trade, concerns from the compliance departments and so on. So, look, it's a policy that people have tried to think about, have tried to build mitigations into, but it could still have a large number of unintended consequences, I think. So mm -hmm. it's certainly not something we think is really the best way to go about dealing with this energy crisis. What alternative should politicians have chosen, do you think? What would have been better? Nice, easy question, Patrick. Thank you. I mean, I mean, look, I'll start by stating the obvious, which is everybody in this crisis wants a magic bullet. They want to say, we did X and we solved the situation. And I've kind of got bad news. And the bad news is there isn't a magic bullet. So really, you've got a bit like what I said earlier a crisis based on a shortage of supply mm -hmm. or, and an excess of demand. So the things we've done so far on controlling demand have been really impressive. But actually, the things that we could be doing 
are more or less things we are doing, but expand LNG capacity, resolve bottlenecks in the grid, because we have a system which essentially was designed to flow gas from east to west, which is now flowing gas from west to east. That creates some technical challenges. So think about how you solve them. Think about how you make as much cross-border capacity as possible available. Work between member states to increase security of supply arrangements. Coordinate the tenders for filling storage. Make sure cross-border cooperation is as strong as possible. And kind of stress test the system you've got. I think one point I'd really want to stress here is that this is a Europe-wide challenge and it needs a Europe-wide solution. What I think you've got to avoid in this response is lots and lots of different national measures that don't necessarily talk to each other. So unfortunately, it's a case of lots of little things combining to improve the situation in the medium to longer term, and hopefully that creating greater coordination and greater demand management, which is beneficial for lots of years to come. And how should the different governments prepare for that next level of decision making? So I don't work for government anymore, so I don't have to confront these questions. But um, look, to answer that, I just want to think for a second about what a price signal does. So why do you have a price? So a price in an international market shows you the attractiveness of a destination. So that's, you know, that's important if you're trying to attract LNG from Qatar or the USA or wherever else. Now, within Europe, the price signal tells you where needs gas most, be that which country, be that which customer. So it helps you move things around. Now, if you haven't got those signals, you need to think about how you're going to source gas and you're going to have to think about where scarce gas is going to go. And if you haven't got a market doing that, you're going to need politicians to make those decisions. And, you know, I sort of jokingly said I don't have to make these decisions anymore. I suppose I never had to make these decisions, but I did used to work for the UK government and I would have had to advise ministers how to make these decisions. And they are not pleasant decisions because you're basically deciding who isn't getting gas. Mm. And so to do that, you have to have really strong cooperation and you have to have really difficult conversations about which industries add most value and where you're not going to provide gas. And actually, one of the huge advantages, in my view, of a market is that you don't have to make those decisions because the market makes them for you. So when we talk about the need to think about those second order decisions, it's working out those things. It's working out what you do in an emergency. Yeah, I understand. What does this political intervention we've seen introducing this cap done to the trust among market participants and also investors? <laughs> you can probably guess what I'm going to say here. Look, Let's start by just being clear, you know, Europe has a well-established regulatory framework. The kind of drive towards creating an internal market in gas, which was something that there was really broad political consensus for over the last few years, is something that investors and indeed traders like. Now, what these measures do, when I say these measures, I mean price caps, but I also mean a whole series of kind of national interventions. What they do is make a framework more complicated and more risky. Mm -hmm. And that translates, unfortunately, into price premiums coming from people having to deal with more risk, and it makes people less willing to trade and invest in Europe. Now, 
they are not ideal outcomes for anybody. And, you know, it's hard not to reflect on this from a kind of British perspective and be a little bit confused. You know, the TTF market is the most liquid market in the whole of mm -hmm. Europe. It has a huge amount of liquidity in it. The Dutch Competition Authority did a big investigation into so-called speculative behavior in it and found that it was one of the most, in fact, didn't find any evidence. So what you've got there is a liquid market which is used internationally to bring gas into Europe. And we have a policy which is reducing the effectiveness of that market and is sending gas trading to locations outside of the EU. That is somewhat bizarre from my perspective. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that sends the right signal to investors or traders or anyone else about the stability of the European framework. No. Well, this is probably too hard to answer, but I'm going to try anyway. How long do you think it will take to restore the trust if these effects indeed are damaging to the market? So what I tried to capture at the start of my previous answer is that Europe has done a lot of good things here. You know, mm. the idea of a European market is something which has had a lot of commitment and has really helped people. Now, if you look across both gas and power over the last year, and I understand why this has happened, you've seen a lot of national reactions to an energy crisis. But if you're dealing with a crisis which is driven by a country as large as Russia, mm. I don't think you need to be responding to it as 27 separate member states. So mm -hmm. I think a European response is certainly key to restoring trust. I think so is maybe taking a little bit more time in policymaking. Time isn't something you have the luxury of when people are suffering like they were when the prices went up. So mm -hmm. I understand that people had to react. But, you know, prices are still extremely high, but they're less high than they were. But now is the time to really kind of sit back and think about what needs to be done how to get some of these temporary interventions out of the market and see what lessons can be learned about improving it in the long run, mm. both gas and power. And I think if that exercise is done with stakeholders in slightly longer timescales than the kind of, I don't want to get geeky, but than the Article 122 processes of last year, I think the market in general will be extremely grateful for it. Mm -hmm. We also need to recognise how much is going on at the moment. As I said, you've got an electricity market design conversation, joint gas purchasing, new benchmarks, questions about the implementation and operation of the market correction mechanism, and a gas and hydrogen markets decarbonisation package. There is an awful lot going on in energy, and holding it all together is important. So I can't really stress enough how much consultation, and obviously talking to sensible people like EFET, is a really important thing to be doing. Yeah, yeah. How easy or difficult is it actually to suspend the mechanism? She said, we need to take time. First of all, you would need to suspend this price cap mechanism, I think. But do you have any idea how difficult or how easy it is to do that? So there are various provisions in the legislation that allow for it to be suspended. There's roles for ACER, there's roles mm -hmm. for the commission. So. There has been a bit of foresight in recognising there may be circumstances in the global markets that require the cap to be suspended. I think we'll only know how those work if they're ever tested in anger. And to mm. be quite honest with you, I hope they never are. So I think my answer to that question is I don't know and I hope I keep not knowing. 
but mm -hmm. we shall. But that is not a particularly safe position to be taking if you're trying to manage risk in a multi-billion-dollar market. No, no, Mark. I wish you a lot of success. Well, advising uh, Europe on what steps to take. And thank you very much for this interview. Thank you, Patrick. I mean, it's probably worth saying my job isn't to advise Europe. It's to represent the views of 130 member companies. So I hope I'm doing that all right. And if we at EFEC can be of use to policymakers, please, you know, reach out. We're here to have conversations and to channel the expertise of those 130 members. And thanks to you and everyone at Clarion. It's always nice talking to you. Thanks, Mark. Thank you for listening to this Energy Transitions podcast, brought to you by Enlit and Friends. Visit enlit.world for more episodes. See you next time.